And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to an extra from the Rookery. My name is John, but this, I'm not doing this podcast. Uh, this is a, an extract from this week's Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, the podcast comes out four days a week and this clip comes from the Tuesday edition, which is hosted by none other than Mark Chapman. In each Tuesday episode, Mark talks to the Athletic writers about the biggest stories from the weekend. And would you believe it? This week, they discussed Watford's firing of Cisco Munoz and his replacement, Claudio Ranieri. Now, as well as hearing from our very own Adam Leventhal, the Athletic's Watford correspondent, He'll have the full story behind this head coach change, but you'll also hear the views of athletic writer Adam Crafton and their Italian football expert, James Horncastle. Sure, you've heard of him before. It was recorded on Monday morning before the appointment, which everybody knew was coming, was officially announced. And in fact, Adam did some very particular uh, research knowing why it was definitely going to be our man Claudio. So find out more about that. So as well as the Tuesday edition, the Athletic Football Podcast, you get a Wednesday edition where they sort of look at one of the big deep dives that the Athletic team do. Uh, Thursday, it's the Business of Sport podcast, which Mark Chapman also presents. He's joined there by the Athletic's Matt Slater, who we had on from the Rooker End a few weeks ago. And then Friday, there's a preview for the Weekend podcast as well. You get that as well as from the Rooker End, from the Athletic, and you get it advert-free by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where you can listen to them ad-free on the Athletic app but also via the Athletic website. That's theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where I believe the offer at the moment is a, a third off a subscription. So do check that out. But here we go with what was said on Monday with more details about the change in Watford head coach. Over to you, Mark. Let's start by talking about the news that Watford this weekend sacked their manager, Cisco Munoz. The former Leicester and Chelsea manager, Claudio Ranieri, lined up as a replacement by the club's Italian owner, Gino Pozzo. So Adam Crafton is with us, as is the Athletics Watford writer, Adam Leventhal, and our Italian football writer, James Horncastle. Always a joy when you have two guests with the same first name. Let's start with Adam L. In some ways... You predicted this, didn't you, with with the article on The Athletic that international breaks are worrying times for Watford head coaches? Yeah, I was a little bit of the of the Grim Reaper, just sort of sneaking up towards uh, the game against Leeds. But, you know, the context of some of the performances this season have sort of been edging towards this happening in the international break. Because if you look back at the, you know, the results that they've had so far, it was a great day against Aston Villa on the opening day. Sunshine, happiness, fans back, all that sort of stuff. And they played well and it was a it was a big performance. But second half, they almost let it go. The other points that they've picked up so far, 
They beat Norwich, but everyone beats Norwich apart from Burnley. And they picked up a point against Newcastle when they could quite easily have lost 3-4 or 5-0. Then following that up with the, the game against Leeds and the way that they, they performed, it was disorganised. There didn't seem to be much tactical depth to the whole thing. And, and this isn't about personality because Shisco Munoz is a lovely guy. Solid bloke, did well last season, got them up, did his job. But now it's just that the performances the fact that they haven't really hung together particularly well or shown that incremental advancement that the board wanted, that's why they've had to act. And that, and that's the key thing, isn't it? Because pundits or, or people that don't know Watford go, oh, here, here they go again. Yeah. But Watford were very clear in their statement, I thought, that it wasn't where they are in the table. It wasn't the fact that they'd lost at Leeds. It was, as they described it, a downward trend in performances. Yeah, you know, we, we've seen that play out. And I suppose at the same time as the fact that, you know, he has done well and he's, he's lasted <laughs> he's lasted seven games in the Premier League, which is, which is well, more than Javi Glathia did, you know, when they got sacked in the last Premier League season. They were trying to give him a chance. They'd probably already given him quite a big chance by actually allowing him to be in the Premier League in the first place because he was very inexperienced after getting promotion from the championship. And yeah, they just had to go, well, look, we've got some really, really difficult games coming up. If we're getting pulled apart by Newcastle against Wolves, for example, at home, the narrative, that was an interesting one with the Wolves defeat, that Wolves were below Watford. They hadn't won a game. They came, looked tactically far superior to Watford. They were gifted a couple of goals, but they won 2-0. And then people thought, oh, well, yeah, they were in a false position. They were in a false position. They were always going to rise to the top. The cream always rises to the top. But then the next game, Wolves go and lose at home against Brentford. And you go, oh, the narrative's changed a little bit there. So that's why they just thought, well, hang on. We've got some massive games coming up. Liverpool, Everton, take your pick. All the top guns, they're coming. If Newcastle and et cetera can pull us apart doing that, what are the other guys going to do? Other Adam, you're turning into the athletics philosopher, aren't you? I mean, you tweeted yesterday, harsh sackings don't always equal wrong sackings. The problem that I have with Watford's sackings recently is the people that they then hire after them. Because that was the problem in the last time they were in the Premier League, wasn't it? I mean, they had three or four managers that season and each one was sort of ended up a bit worse than the last one. You know, they got the Kike Sanchez-Flores rehire was a really bad idea at the time. And then obviously Nigel Pearson came in and that didn't really work out. I do generally get the model, the model of, you know, we can see performances are changing. We don't have the money of, you know, the teams at the top of the table. Therefore, here's the one thing we can, tr- we can control, which is the manager. So let's try and trigger improvement, even if that happens two or three times a season. I do get that. And it's worked reasonably well over the years when they've, you know, I think the first time they ke- they sacked Kike Flores, I think they kept them up 13th, 14th in the league. FA Cup was the FA Cup semi-final as well that year. And then he was sacked. And everyone thought that was really harsh. And it worked out. They kept staying up. I think there's a few th- things that they've not necessarily learned from. So after the FA Cup final defeat against Manchester City, the 6-0, Javi Gracia, I think most people at Watford thought this, this is probably the end for Javi Gracia based on the second half of that season. They then let him start the next season, and that was really the start of the problems. I think this time again with Cisco. I mean, Adam, did they have concerns with him around the summer, or have they just emerged in the space of six weeks? Because if they had concerns in the summer, to then repeat that mistake of going into another season with a manager you're not sure of, I think 
that's where the model becomes a little bit more flimsy. Yes, th- there were concerns last season. There was a <laughs> there was a funny game. It wasn't funny. It was horrible. But there was a game against Coventry. They drew nil nil in that game, and it was all falling apart. And uh, Troy Deeney got injured and, and things like that. But it was one of the only games where I watched the first half. And I had to, and you don't normally do this as a broadcaster or as a journalist or whatever. Half time, I had to go outside for a walk to almost oh, wash, <laughs> cleanse, cleanse the football that I'd seen off me. It was, it was horrendous. Coventry, a great side, and they're doing really well this season. But Watford, they were appalling. Um, but then after that, they managed to just hold it together. And it wasn't necessarily the changes that Shisco made. And they went on this great run. It was more that the senior players took over and sort of went, look, come on, we need to correct this. Stop the backbiting. Let's actually get together. And there was unity. And that was something that Shisco Munoz managed to, to you know, engender within, the, within the, the, the dressing room. And he was very good at that and the atmosphere around the training ground and all that sort of stuff. And then I think they probably acted against their better instincts by being faithful. <laughs> and, you know, they sort of thought, come on, let's give him a go. Let's Let's not be the same Watford guys as we normally are. Let's give him a go. And yeah, it's a similar situation to Javi Grafia. So yeah, they've they've sort of they're repeating the same mistakes. But I can see why they they wanted to give him a chance. They saw something. Maybe he might be all right, but obviously he wasn't. It's kind of interesting because uh, I would say most casual observers think of of the Potsos and their time at Watford as being some of the most ruthless owners when it comes to making managerial changes. In Italy, I would, I would say that, um, just as Adam was, was saying, Leventar rather than Crafton, they haven't been ruthless enough in some respects because in Italy there is this, this idea that you have categories of managers who are specialists and there are some managers who are great at getting teams up uh, and they keep doing it. Um, I mean, there's the Tony Pulis of Italian football, which is uh, Beppe Iacchini. He's, he's kind of Tony Pulis-like because he wears a baseball cap. And he's got two or three teams up. And as soon as the promotion uh, ticker tape has fallen, the champagne's finished, they say, thanks very much, Beppe, but we're moving on from you. And likewise, there are some managers who are very good at keeping teams up, like Davide Balladini at Genoa. Some, some coaches are very good at getting teams into Europe, Spalletti. Some coaches that are good at winning titles. Max Allegri. And I think for them to actually put faith in, in Cisco is, is curious, really, and maybe is an adaptation to the culture that we see in English football, which tends to be to reward someone for, for earning promotion and then take the temperature of how things are going. Um, you know, we've seen it with what Southampton when they famously sacked Nigel Atkins and brought in Pochettino. Ranieri is not Pochettino, but, um, but it is it is interesting how I would say I would say in Italy they are not considered uh, ruthless compared with the the stereotype of them here. Although I suppose what they've done, James and 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 Adam L can come in on this, but I suppose what they've done then, both here and maybe the last time they were in the Premier League, certainly with the uh, Nigel Pearson appointment, and with this one, if they go Claudio Ranieri. Is, is to get someone who tends to keep teams in the Premier League somehow. The appointment of Nigel Pearson going back was was a good one. They'd sort of wasted a good 10 games with, with Kike Sanchez-Flores prior to that. If it is uh, Claudio Ranieri, and I think they're hopeful of getting that, getting that done, I do look back a little bit with a little bit of sort of fear at what happened with Fulham when he was in charge. 
And, you know, having spoken to a, a few people, they have suggested that there was quite a lot of change from one style under Slavisa Jukanovic, another, another one of the Watford alumni, that, you know, he was playing one style of football, Ranieri wanted to completely change it. And there was a little bit of a clash and it didn't really, didn't really work out. So hopefully, because there will be a, a synergy between the owner and the sporting director, Cristiano Giretta as well, and Claudio Ranieri, that there won't be anything lost in translation and maybe they, it can be more of a, a blend towards doing what Watford haven't been doing this season. So we will see. You just hope, you know, for the new guy coming in, the games coming up are just horrendous. So you're not going to get a, a new manager bounce coming up against Liverpool and Everton and Man City and Chelsea. You could quite easily go through the next eight games with Arsenal and Leicester thrown in, Southampton battling and thinking, well, we can get some points off Watford. Eight games, you go, well, they might not get any points. And then you get to Christmas and you're really in the in the brown stuff. Do you think, James, there's a difference in how they, they run their English clubs compared to how they run their other clubs or have run, run their other clubs just because of the finances involved? Yeah, I think there is subtle differences because, I mean, if you look at how Udinese have started the season the last couple of years, I mean, uh, for example, last season, they lost five of their first six games. This season, it hasn't been you know, much better. I mean, at the moment, they're, they're on a four-game winless run. And yet the same manager is is in charge, Luca Gotti. And that, that doesn't mean to say that they haven't had conversations with Gotti and uh, with potential successes to him about making it making a change, but they've ultimately stuck by him and they've been rewarded with the kind of continuity that they've had on the bench. But I think the financial stakes of the Premier League are just are just so high. The team that finishes bottom in the Premier League will get more in domestic TV rights than the team that finishes top of Serie A. Um, yeah, that is that is still the case. So in some respects, you will take more radical action in order to keep um, your team in the Premier League. Serie A, because of this synergy, I think that they between Udinese and Watford. You know, when when Watford went down, yeah, you know, last year, you ended up having what Pusetta moved to to, to Udinese, Delofeo moved to Udinese, and those guys are very good for for the level that Udinese are at in Serie A in terms of of staying up. Help them help them stay up quite comfortably in the end. There's always that kind of contingency fallback, but I think maybe why we see this kind of this radicalization of, of managerial changes when Watford come up to, to to the Premier League or when they were trying to get into the Premier League the first time around is is just because of the the, the finances involved. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Who makes the decisions then, uh, Adam, at Watford? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the sporting director, who's who's Italian as well, but does everything come from Gino Pozzo? What, what is the Watford structure at the moment? Because I'm guessing that that has changed a fair bit over the years as well, not quite as much as, as often as the managers have changed, but the, the structure has changed. It has been relatively, relatively settled. Initially, there was a sort of a, a little bit of a lack of clarity, you know, back in 2012 of exactly who was the the boss man, because it, originally it was the Pozzo family, but then it sort of boiled down. It was Gino who's, you know, he's been in charge and he he moved over and, and he's based at the training ground, as we know. Um, and Scott Duxbury is the chairman and the chief executive. Now, Christiana Giretta is the, is the sporting director. The, the previous sporting director, Filippo Giraldi, who had been in charge for, for quite some time, put it really nicely actually and and he sort of tried to explain how decisions are made and it's almost similar to sort of the 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 Brian Clough quote of we all decide that I'm right that he was saying that you know they would discuss a decision um we bounce a few ideas around and then most of the time Gino would t- tell us exactly what was going to be happening so that's basically how it how it all sort of pans out that Gino makes the the final call in this circumstance, there will have been more influence recently in terms of Cristiano Giretta, maybe sort of leaning on more of his trusted agents and things like that, or his connections to try and bring players in and things like that. But this feels with, you know, Ranieri, the man coming in, that it is someone, you know, who's been around the block. They know him very, very well. And he's been at Watford quite a lot. He's visited, been a director's box and things like that. So, you know, they're bringing in a guy that that they know well and hope will do well. Also, sorry, we just recorded this on the Monday morning. Uh, before we start a recording, uh, what's the latest clue that it's going to be Ranieri, Adam? What did you, <laughs> what did you say before we came on well, air? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the most forensic, 
but it is well it works for me <laughs> well, it works for me i'm yeah, buying it yesterday his his ringtone was an italian ringtone and i was told mm. by someone close to him that he was in italy and when i called this morning it was an english ringtone yeah. so there you go bosh he's always kept the place that he, he bought when he was uh when he was coached chelsea you know, um, so he's just here for refurbishments, then, right? He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a frequent visitor. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the things that appealed to him so much about Fulham because essentially, essentially he could walk to work. So there you go. The only thing about Ranieri is in the Premier League, he doesn't actually have a record really of firefighting, given that you took, you took Fulham down. Leicester, obviously, they weren't at the bottom of the league in his first season because he went and won the league. And then the second season where it did become messy, they felt that they needed to get rid of him. And obviously at Chelsea, he was never down there. So it's quite an interesting thing. He's not one of those traditional Allardyce, Billich, Pulis, Pardew kind of mould. Although keeping Leicester up by winning the title is is quite impressive. But, but in terms of that actual record of we're down the bottom, how do we get out of it? There isn't actually, there isn't really a track record for that. Um, but he's very nice, isn't he? The Pozzos are often criticised and get a lot of stick for what they do with Watford managers. But maybe their feeling is th- their players and, and their recruitment and scouting network, and James will know this from all the years at Udinese, maybe they're feeling, actually, do you know what? The players that we have brought in and the players that we have got are better than being in a in a dogfight. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also, if you look at the composition of that squad, I mean, again... <laughs> The Potters do rely heavily on the Italian market. Um, you know, they they go back there for players who are kind of tried and trusted uh, at, at teams that are kind of mid-table uh, in Serie A. I don't think Renier has actually coached any of them, but he'll be he'll be aware of them from doing his kind of opposition analysis when he was when he was coach at Sampdoria, Roma, Cagliari. I mean, this is his twentieth club, so <laughs> I mean, he's. He's experienced, but I think Adam L mentioned earlier, you know, the run of fixtures that Watford have got coming up. I I think on the one hand, it could go very, very badly, but I I think Ranieri has all the experience that he will be able to weather that situation, whatever comes at him very, very well. He'll have been through it. He's a very kind of serene character, which I think is what you kind of need in those in those situations. And he'll take it day by day, game by game. I mean, Adam C was was saying that uh, he doesn't really have a track record in this. He doesn't in the Premier League, but in, in City A, he does. I mean, his his last job at Sampdoria, he took them over uh, when they were in the bottom three and and kept them up with a kind of very Back to basics. I'm going to teach you guys the ABC of football. That's what he always does when he comes into these kind of situations, right? We need to relearn the alphabet of this game. We're going to teach it every day. We're going to play 4-4-2 because that's something that you'll all understand and all feel comfortable in. And then we'll gradually gain confidence and build from there. Um, So uh, I think, you know, he's obviously something that they'll, someone that they'll have been they are more than aware of. I mean, you don't have to be a football fan to know who Claudio Ranieri is and and and, and what he's done in this game. But you know, I, I think they'll they they believe that he's been in very high pressure situations because, frankly, yeah, as much as you know, Italians revere the Premier League for you know full stadiums, you know, hundred percent capacity crowds. Managers get it easy compared with what it's like in Italy. 
you know, where you come out, you lose a game, the ultras are there threatening you. You know, the keys are running down your car, they're outside your house. Um, you know, they're they're outside the training ground and all that sort of thing. I mean, you lose a game, you lose a game in in the Premier League and you're down the bottom, you have a glass of wine with the opposition manager at the end of the game and you go home. That's it. It's easy. So whatever comes in these next five games after the international break, he'll be able to kind of weather it. It's just uh, it's just whether the players panic. And I think that's where that serenity that I mentioned is really, really key. The players must be used to this. I mean, the temptation, Adam L, is to go, is to go, you know, what do the fans think? Um, well, the fans are used to how their how their club is run like like this now. And some will be for a change and some will be against the change. The other players used to it. There's been quite a, a significant clear out over the summer. Maybe clear out's a little bit unfair. I mean, it, you know, some senior characters. So significant in terms of the players that have actually left the likes of, you know, Troy Deeney, you know, Andre Gray, Nathaniel Shalabar, Will Hughes. So some, some decent players have left. And I think that the players that have now come in, and this is even the players that came in the championship last season, they haven't really seen too much change. You know, yes, there was Vladimir Ivic, who was a, a bit of a fun sponge. And then you get, you know, shiny, happy Shisko Munoz coming in and making life happy again, which to be fair, during the pandemic and, and things like that, playing football, it was, it was a pretty joyless experience. And he managed to just bring a little bit of the fun back. But I think the players that are now in the dressing room, James has mentioned a few of the, the, the guys that the Pozzos have, have brought in, you know, being familiar to Ranieri, like the Slovakian sort of doorman, Juraj Kutska, who's now coming. He's a really sort of hard bloke by, by, by all accounts. You know, you've got other experienced players like Musa Sissoko coming in, Ozan Tufan, who's an experienced Turkish international. They've got decent players up top as well. Emmanuel Dennis on the left-hand side, Ishmael Assar, Josh King, who's who's got a knee injury, and we'll see how, how that pans out. But there are players in there that I think will go, okay, okay, this is a bit strange, but we've we've been there and done it, and we've got a head coach that has been there and done it. So this could work out okay. And if he's able to keep the atmosphere light and happy, which he's done in the past, he was buying, was it with Leicester? He bought them pizzas and stuff like that. Just like simple things. Keep it simple. You know, if he can keep it, keep it sort of on a, on a level, good mood at Watford, then they should have the players to just, just rise above it and finish 17th by on goal difference. That'll do it. Plus he's multilingual. That reminds me of another story that, that come from Leicester where he would go around, he would go around the dressing room tr- talking to each talking to each player in well then the ones that he spoke he talked to each player in their in their initial language and then he I can't remember who the player was and maybe it was Mark Albrighton and he started speaking in Spanish or something to Mark Albrighton then Mark Albrighton went I'm English I'm English it's like oh yeah right okay I'll talk, I'll talk. The, the final thing on all of this Adam C is and it comes back to whether whether they see themselves in a relegation dogfight or not because I think the the psychology of clubs when they come up is really interesting. And I know it's very early in the season, but every interview we've done here with on The Athletic or elsewhere with Brentford, Brentford's big thing is they work on this model that, yes, the top six, the big six, however you want to call them, are ahead of everybody else, right, in the, in the Premier League. But then the other 14 and the top 10 of the championship – there ain't a great deal of difference. So their big thing coming up was we don't have to fear, you know, we don't really fear even the top six, but 
There's no difference in quality between what we've done against the top 10 compared to the top 14. And if you go up with that mentality, then you don't automatically think you're going to be in a relegation dogfight. But I think it's probably inevitable at some point, you know, even if it's not the first, you know, what we often see, isn't it, is the first season when you're a bit different, whether you're Leeds or Sheffield United or Brentford, you can surprise people a little bit and you have you have a general bounce because you've been promoted together that gives an opportunity to, I suppose, overtake any deficiencies you may have in terms of quality or investment over the years. I mean, I think Brentford's probably slightly different in that they've recruited so well for so long that I'm sure that they'll be okay. But I'm sure even if they're in the Premier League for the next five or six years, they'll have one year where they're in a relegation battle because, as you say, that difference is very small. But I do think there's a clutch of clubs you know, Everton, West Ham, Wolves probably to a certain extent, that they're above that clutch that will always just sort of be okay-ish as well. So, but I think, you know, in terms of the bottom half of the table, there's no reason why Watford can't finish above Southampton, Newcastle, Leeds even, um, in terms of the quality of players that they've got. So, yeah, I don't think you're completely off there. I think the Brentford example's fascinating because they have a very kind of clear identity, clear structure in terms of like, you know, this is how we recruit. This is the kind of manager we want to develop those players. Watford, that identity is always just associated with the ownership and the changes of manager. And there doesn't ever really seem to be a kind of, what is what does a Watford manager look like? A Watford manager essentially looks like the guy who might keep them up. You know, there's there's... I wouldn't say there's been a there's been a style of play where you can go back through the years of the Potters and say right that is how a, a Watford's team plays football. It is whatever it takes to get promoted. It's whatever it takes to stay in the league, and that's it. Yeah, it's horses horses for courses, and and you know it has been very much. You know, you go back and the reputation. Let's be honest, the reputation that Watford have have, have got goes all the way back. You know, now we're in, into, an, into an international break. It goes all the way back to 14-15 when, you know, they got promoted. It was at the end of the, it was at the start of the, the first international break. Beppe Sinino departed. And by the start of the October international break, Oscar Garcia, Billy McKinley had come and gone and Slavisa Jokanovic was already in charge. So, you know, they have, they have sort of got that reputation from then. But often what they have done, and even within those managers I mentioned there, they will try and correct it by the personality trait of the of the the, the um, head coach that is succeeding the, the previous one. So so it is all rather sort of I don't know if this is a word, but pendulemic. It just sort of swings one way and and then the other. And this this one is classic. Shisko Munoz goes inexperienced, nice guy. Let's bring in a really experienced guy who knows the ropes. But it has been reset. The ambitions have been reset after the 1920 season, we just have to stay up, we just have to stay up. And that's what they're trying to do again. And a lot of Watford fans will be looking at Brentford and going, oh yeah, we remember what that feeling was like coming up into the Premier League and everyone not knowing who we were and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, as you say, Adam C, Brentford is a a solid, organised institution and they know what they want to do. Watford sort of know what they want to do and they hope that they will achieve it, but um, they haven't really got much of a track record in the Premier League over the last two years. And maybe they might get it right this time. Maybe. James, Adam L, thank you. Uh, keep us in touch if that ringtone changes again later. His WhatsApp photo is, is Stonehenge, by the way. Uh, I mean, it, it's been like that for, a, it? for a long time. I mean, he is a monument. Do you know why? No, I... I, I... <laughs> 
Have you ever asked? No, him? no. I mean, maybe maybe we, we should the next time uh, we connect. It's just changed to Vicarage Road, actually. It's just changed. <laughs> <laughs> The Athletic.